I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And today, a chat, but not just any chat. This is a chat with Kelly McMaster. Do you know Kelly? You should. Kelly McMaster, my wife, my business partner, co-lead at Purple Patch. In many ways, the driving force. We're going to have a chat today. It's the first time that we've ever done this. And we thought that we would bring both of us to the forefront, as is rightly so. But the main topic of discussion is going to be a recent experience for Kelly. You see, she's not from a running background. She doesn't profess to be an elite endurance athlete, but she is a purple patch athlete. And just last week, Kelly had a tremendous experience finishing her very first marathon. So we thought we'd explore, we'd unpick it a little bit, talk about the support she had, the process, some out-of-the-box thinking that we went about in trying to help Kelly get ready. I think what you'll hear is... A little bit of an informative, hopefully inspirational, and certainly educational little storyline of Kelly's marathon performance. And so this week, we're not doing the jingle. We're not doing word of the week. You see, we're both pretty wordy, so we get on with it and we chat for a good hour. But no word of the week, no promos, nothing about nothing. All we're going to present to you is Kelly McMaster, her first marathon the story of. Enjoy. And yes, the meat and potatoes today, and it's a special one. It's an important one. This is a goodie. We're going to talk about athletic performance, talk about evolution, performance in a time-starved life, but with no one less but Kelly McMaster, or as I call you, the Missy. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Matt. (laughs) So for you guys that are listening, in case you don't know, Kelly and I are partners in crime. We are not only husband and wife, we are also co-owners of Purple Patch. We run the company together. In fact, we met each other. We always confuse when we met each other. (laughs) So often it's like, I've known Matt for five years. (laughs) Well, Baxter's seven. But, um, But we've known each other. In fact, we met each other the year before Purple Patch started, I think. And... In many ways, I I tell many people that you gave me the courage to go and do this crazy thing. I remember, I don't know if you remember the plane ride in uh, on United. I do. We were coming back from Tyler Stewart's first professional triathlon race, and you were thinking about leaving Endurance Performance Training Center, and so we had a conversation and brainstormed what that might look like, and here the we are today. The here we are today, and and now we run Purple Patch together. Uh, now I started out of my studio basement uh little apartment uh but with your help you've been a part of purple patch all the way through although you had a parallel life in tech at the time which we'll, we'll come to in a second so i think it's really important for the listeners we do something with all of our guests and before we sort of talk about what we're here to talk about today which is your wonderful marathon performance and we'll get into that in a second i think it's important to have context of who you are and uh, and respect to expose our love for montana here but Tell us a little bit about family, education, background, where are you from? 
Well, as many listeners probably know, I grew up in Montana. Um, I grew up in Helena and it was a, it was a really simple, wholesome upbringing. Um, my dad was a computer engineer and he worked on one of those big old mainframe computers with the, the old punch cards. And I have childhood memories of like being drugged to his office and hanging out in the freezing cold room. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my mom was a secretary and I, um, Stayed in Helena all the way through high school with my family. Um, and then after high school, I decided to, to go to school at the University of Montana in Missoula. Um, and while I was in Missoula, I studied organizational communications and really developed my love of the outdoors and, and more of the adventure sports. But you weren't destined to stay in Montana, no? No, I was always ready to go. I, I was a girl with a lot of ambition and, some say that I was born with a clipboard in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit like uh, Reese Witherspoon yeah, from Reese Election. Yeah, Reese Witherspoon from Election, yes. That was your upbringing. <laughs> yeah. If, I mean, in high school, I was the president of everything. I was the president of my class, the president of Spanish Club, the president of the Honor Society, and the captain of the gymnastics team. There was nothing I didn't want to lead when I was a high school student. And, and my fake claim that you were the co-chair of the Immigration Society of, of uh, your high school, which, of course, if you know anything about Montana... There's not too much immigration there, but uh, so Colorado you went to? Yes. So after college, I moved to Colorado and I lived um, in Evergreen for a period of time and then just outside of Denver in this little tiny town called Idledale. Um, and I spent most of my time there playing outside kayaking on the rivers or mountain biking. Um, and then as my 20s were kind of winding down, I was ready for a change. And it was 2000. And I put my feelers out and I, I found this company in San Francisco called DoubleClick. And they were the company that allowed the right ad to show up at the right time on the right device. It was the, it was the advent of internet advertising. And they um, recruited me and were willing to pay for my move. And so I, I took a leap of faith and moved myself from... The wide open spaces of Idledale, Colorado to a teeny tiny closet in the marina. And this was, I mean, it's, I mean, it, it's the classic case, but this was 2000, the explosion of the internet. San Francisco was probably at its most crazy time since the sixties in, and obviously at the start of this shift. So it must have been an amazing time. And it, it was literally a closet you lived in for the first time. Yeah, no, month. I literally lived in a closet. <laughs> That's all that was available. Um, and so I, I stayed in the closet for about a year. <laughs> <laughs> and finally came out of the closet. And Fantastic. look where we are again. We're and back in the closet recording the podcast. We're back in the closet recording the podcast. And But you, you talked about sports and your love for the outdoors a little bit, uh, mountain biking, kayaking. So, I, so I'd love to go back. Let's go actually back to, to Helena Growing up, because the subject we're going to talk about today is your recent experience at the marathon. So I think it's important for us to understand your sporting background. So what did you do growing up in terms of sports? Yeah, I was a really active little kid, but very early on, I discovered a love of gymnastics and I I stuck with it. So I, I think I started gymnastics when I was about seven and I did it all the way through high school. But gymnastics was a, a huge part of my life and it really laid the foundation for everything that I've done since then. It gave me tremendous work ethic, lots of body awareness, and just this love of constantly moving my body. And that, that sort of extended... Did you do any team sports in uh, in high school at no, all? No, no. I only did gymnastics, and then I also um, 
was very involved, as we talked about earlier, in all the other facets of school. And then when you got into <clears throat> Missoula, I guess, is where it, where it all started, you became more of a, an outdoor sportsman, a little bit of mountain biking, kayaking. Uh, kayaking came in Colorado, but when I, when I went to college in Missoula, that's when I kind of moved from gymnastics to skiing. And I learned how to ski in college. And then, um, I also, um, got into mountain biking. And that's kind of when mountain biking was actually just starting. It was 1989. And I can't remember exactly when mountain biking started in California, but it was, it was at the beginning stages of mountain biking. And I was always on my bike. And I think a, like a fond memory for me was one spring break, all of my girlfriends went to Mexico for the classic spring break. But I decided to go to um, Moab with a bunch of guys. And then I also went skiing. So I was a, I was a bit of a tomboy and really loved, um, loved doing these more adventurous sports. And, and I think it's interesting. So your, your background was these sort of outdoor adventure sports. Of course, the backbone of your athletics was gymnastics yes but um i think a common misconception is the that you're a triathlete by nature or a running background and we're, we're talking about running today but you have literally no real background in running no nope no no running background and i'm i'm not necessarily a triathlete but <laughs> i do i do like i said love to move my body and use all of the principles of purple patch to uh make myself feel great well let, let's let's talk about you Gymnastics going in, going up in context of one of the things that gymnastics gave you was not just great body awareness, great work ethic. It's a wonderful journey. It also gave you two terrible knees. <laughs> it did. Yeah. So I have um, severe patella chronomalacia, which is fondly known as runner's knee, ironically. Ironically, <laughs> even though you didn't run. Even though I didn't yes. run, but it's basically overuse. Um, and from constant pounding. And then also there's some weakness in how I was aligned with my quadriceps and my hamstrings. And that led to some misalignment and um, knee surgeries. So I've had my left knee operated on twice and my right knee operated on once. And I I don't have any meniscus left. So it's uh, it's been a constant battle and, and one where, you know, I can still ride my bike, but running is not or has not traditionally in the past been something that's felt very good for me. And, and this is this is ongoing. This has been a long time. I mean, those surgeries are, are, are spanning a long time. Yeah, 80, 89 and 2001, is that right? Yeah. So, um, so, so this is something that you've sort of had to learn to live with. And we talk about your, you know, here we are just one week after you had a, a tremendous performance in your first marathon ever. Yes. And so much of the... Much of what we're going to talk about today is is your journey to that. How did you do it and how do we get there? And as we'll talk about later, a little bit of thinking out of the box mindset. But um, let's get into it. And you decided to, I guess first, why did you choose to do a marathon? Well, mm -hmm. my friends and I are approaching the milestone 50th birthday. And one of my dear, dear friends, Kim Kislow, um, turned 50 in February and for her birthday, she wanted to run a marathon. And so I agreed to do it with her as a, as a gift to her and a gift to us. And we signed up for this marathon and, and here we are. And here we are. So, so we decided to go for it. Uh, you thought 
I need a really, really good coach. And after <laughs> going for the search and failing to find one, you, ca you came to me, but, uh, um, which we'll get into that <laughs> very funny later on. But, um, what were the, as you begin this, obviously the, the knees are there, but what, what were the, the risks or the worries around the knees as you started this? What were the, the outcomes that you're worried about? Well, first of all, because I'd never really ever run longer than a half marathon, I didn't know if my body could withstand the distance. Um, I also didn't want to have any pain or swelling. Um, and then the other pieces, I had Baxter when I was 42, almost uh, 43. And I never fully recovered from that. I would say that it's just now that I'm starting to feel put back together. Um, Baxter had a very difficult delivery. And um, when I walked out of that operating room, I looked a lot like um, square Bob sponge pants. <laughs> and, and, and it, it's true. <laughs> you did. Although at the time I never, ever would have told you that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I just, uh, my ankles were kind of as swollen as my neck. And it took a long time for that swelling to leave my body. And um, and then as part of that recovery, I found out that I had diastasis recti, which is a separation of the abs. And part of that happening is that your core never really is as strong as it was before having the baby. And so that also leads to weakness in the in the in glutes. the in the glutes and the hamstrings. And so it's it was really just a function of, you know, could my body handle this? As much as my heart wanted to do it, I, I didn't know if I was physically capable. Yeah, you had basically no running background. You're, you're obviously, you went through this tremendously traumatic um, birth, physically traumatic, obviously. I mean, I, you, you spent five nights in the hospital. We uh, did. We, we did. I was there too, yeah. Um, in fact, there was a fantastic uh, story that, we, that I think we should tell of the hospital where the first night we went through and it was 40 hours of labor. It was an emergency C-section. Uh, you looked like square Bob. You were absolutely uh, emotionally and physically exhausted, of course, uh, as were we both. And uh, we had wonderful Baxter. He was incredibly healthy. He, he got put into the NICU, so the, the small ICU. He was quadruple the size of any <laughs> other baby in there. <laughs> and um, And after the first night, we got to see him and we got to hang out with him on the second night. And it's after the third day that the husband starts to get a little fatigue of staying in the hotel. So I... The hotel? The, the hotel, exactly. the hospital. Yeah, exactly. Fatigue. I was wondering, where is room service? <laughs> but uh, but we, you allowed me to head to the uh, the local store to get some beers. Oh, yes. And, uh, and so I had two beers, but they have a communal fridge. And uh, I'll never forget, I put the four beers that I hadn't drunk and I left them in the fridge. And I went to bed and in the morning I woke up and all four beers were gone. And I, I felt good for paying it forward, paying man. it forward, <laughs> one beer at a time, giving it one beer <laughs> at a time. So, but here we are. And you, you, you sort of, you went through a, a, a tremendous, almost as a rehab process. I mean, firstly, you've got Baxter, you've got a newborn, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's incredibly challenging. And for you guys that are listening, if you don't know what diastasis is, what you want to think about is take your six pack 
and get someone to stretch out and rip it till the center of those muscles are broken apart. And so no six pack anymore. And you sometimes see this on, uh, on sunburnt English guys on the beach where they they drink too much and their beers become split or their, their bellies become split. So it, 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 it's obviously a performance limiter. And, and it's a long process to get that back. I mean, you've worked, obviously worked tremendously, um, tremendously hard. Um, so here we are. You've, you've had double knee surgery. You've gone through traumatic, physically traumatic experience with, uh, with Baxter's birth and, and a long recuperation physically to go back there. You're still very, very busy, obviously, with everything that we have going on at Purple Patch and, now we start this marathon. You've got no running background. You start training for this marathon. And I think it's important here because when people think about athletes and purple patch athletes, sometimes they think about Sam Appleton winning the world championship or people qualifying to Hawaii. But you are very much a purple patch athlete. Absolutely. And I think, you know, while I have no running background, I very much identify myself as a purple patch athlete. And in fact, last year at the Kona um, World Championships in Hawaii, I was sitting next to Chelsea Sodaro and I was talking to her about Purple Patch. And I told her that, you know, Chelsea, I'm just as much of a Purple Patch athlete as you. I use the same pillars. I use endurance training, functional strength, nutrition, and recovery just to show up as the best mom I can be, the best partner I can be, and be vibrant and healthy in life. And I think that really stuck with Chelsea. And, uh, you know, like we've talked about, I don't have a running background, but I've used these pillars of performance to do road cycling trips with Purple Patch to feel good just in life. So, yeah, I am. I am a Purple Patch athlete. And, and ultimately, I think it's true to say you're, you're still results focused. Yes, I'm competitive and <laughs> and want to get the best from myself always. And, you know, it, people... Of people, I think, really struggle with seeing themselves as an athlete. And, you know, I think it's, um, I think there's so much of it, even when you think about some of the training that you do within the Purple Patch community, it's a really broad range in there of people that ultimately are athletes, even though they have a hard time identifying themselves as such. Yeah, I don't, you know, at Purple Patch, I think that's one of the areas where I think we can do a better job of telling stories. But Purple Patch in San Francisco is filled with a variety of athletes, many of whom you've never heard about, but are super inspiring. And they're all hanging out with me in World War II lane if I swim, or, you know, they might be in the middle or the back of the pack biking, but they're performance driven and they want to get the best they can get from themselves. And they're using these same principles to thrive. In World War II, by the way, so we have lane one, which is the pros, lane two, the very elite amateurs, and it goes all the way down to World War II. They swim <laughs> so poorly, they don't deserve a lane number. That's my uh, my uh, my claim anyway. So let's frame this marathon. We're, um, we're getting ready for this marathon. What When you started... Obviously, it was a, a wonderful journey. You've never done it before, but what was your goal or mission of the race? High hopes. I had high hopes. I wanted to finish the race injury free, <laughs> and you wanted to do it obviously with no frame. So high hurt. So can the knee survive in many ways? Yeah. So yeah, what, what, I just wanted to test my knees and and make well. 
The reality of it is, is I didn't know if my knees could make it because in the past when I would run farther than a half marathon, I would have lots of pain and lots of swelling. And so I actually didn't know if I could take on this challenge. Um, but I, I, so I was nervous. I was nervous about that. And it was, yeah, it was just basically uh, the biggest thing was, uh, that's, I think that's important. The longest you'd ever run was 13 miles. Yeah? Yes. So and suddenly it's 26 miles on the horizon. So it's so weird about 12 weeks to get ready. Let's go all the way back to the start of training. 12 weeks. We're gunning. We're getting ready for this marathon. I think this, I think the one thing that I think is we have to be a, a bit transparent when we talk about this journey, which is for the last couple of years, you, you have been incredibly consistent with getting back towards fitness and certainly strength. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I am a strong believer that anybody over 40 is weak and should be in the strength <laughs> room <laughs> and should be double up on, doubling up on their strength. So to prepare for the session, I, I doubled down on my strength. You, but in listening, everyone there, yeah, the old <laughs> AARP people, you are weak. That doesn't come from me. That comes from you, Kelly. Yeah, that's, globally, everybody over 40 needs yeah, to be lifting heavy weights. That's, uh, that's especially if you're a woman, especially if you're a woman. That, so, so we have this platform. You had sort of a strength background, some cardiovascular fitness. So I'd love to go back to the initial weeks of training as you go in there and tell us what the, initial impressions were and i guess I'll, I'll lead you a little bit because you remember the first one was low mileage lots of walking yeah i mean i liked it because it was i could accomplish it and i felt successful but for anybody that's more of a purist runner or has more running background they wouldn't have even thought it would be possible to get me ready for a marathon <laughs> on this plan so it's embarrassing, but I'll say it. What I started with was a one-minute walk easy, one-minute walk strong, one-minute run for a total of 40 minutes. And then we just kind of built from there. But it was very basic at the beginning. And you, you never, we never counted distance? Yeah, we never ran for distance. We only ran for time. And my time gradually built up over the 12 weeks. So, so your first runs, which lasted for, for a week or two. Yeah, 40 minutes. 40 minutes, so that mm -hmm. ended up to... About, <laughs> about three miles. About three miles. Well, you know what? Well done. Yeah, it was very good. Um, but we didn't just run either. I no, think no. So, again, we used the, the pillars of performance. So I was running my three miles a few times a week, and then I was doing strength sessions, but I was also riding my bike. Um, about 60 minutes, yeah, 45 to 60 minutes. Yeah, 45 to 60 minutes a few times a week. And that was... Really high intensity for them. Yeah, very time. high intensity. Typical of like a class you would find if you ever took a purple patch bike class or if you're on any of our programs. I was often doing the nipple twisters. <laughs> the nipple twisters. What more can you ask for? That's one, one of our very, very, uh, large group of workouts that have uh, very silly names. But, um, so, so let's break down because we started with that one minute easy walk, one minute walk strong, one minute run. Of course, you, um, you couldn't get ready for a marathon just repeating that had obviously evolved. But let's let's break down a week of training for you a little bit. And uh, and I think we can come out a level because we're going to get to the runs in a second. But I'd love you to talk to you about strength and, and what you did with that over the course of the 12 weeks. And, and then hopefully a little bit of recovery in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So 
luckily, because of the business that we're in, I was supported very much like a, a professional athlete would be or an athlete that's at the pointy end of the sport where I had um, biweekly massage from my friend Ava at SMI and I had a nutritionist helping me with my diet and my fueling plan. And I also um, really focused on my hydration. Um, but for me, I think the success of this, of being able to do this marathon came down to doing two strength sessions a week and then having very painful, very intense recovery with Ava to help me make sure my uh, my quads and my hamstrings were functioning properly. And then I also had to do the boring but important basic exercises that people hate doing, <laughs> um, like clams, bridges. You do them religiously, yeah? Yeah, I mean, you, core exercises, but they're really boring, but I did them. You did them And so well. I, I got strong. So I can't help but dig into one component that you mentioned there, in passing, which was hydration. And, uh, and the reason for that, there's great, there's great context for this, which is before you started this marathon journey, one of the things I would always say to you is you need to hydrate. You're like a shriveled prune <laughs> and just, you just don't like to drink fluids in the day when you're working. And I'm a little bit tired, I'm a little bit sleepy, I'm a little bit hungry. And the hydration was the thing. And it was completely random and. Nothing related to, to your performance, but we happen to have Andy Blow over at our house. And for you listeners that don't know Andy, Andy is the founder of Precision Hydration. And he came with his sweat test box and he said, why don't I go through a sweat test? So, so why don't you tell us this, this sort of random performance enhancement that you got and the education you got from Andy? Yeah, you bet. So just another boring Monday afternoon in our kitchen. <laughs> Andy was giving me a sweat test. And he came back with a, a prescription for me for my specific electrolyte needs during um, during workouts. And he let me test his product. And I actually really liked it. The product tastes very neutral. And I started adding it to my water on a consistent basis. And I started feeling better. And then I also started adding it to my bottles when I was working out. And I felt great. Um, and as part of this process, I was having some blood work done um, through athlete blood lab and one of the markers they test for with that testing protocol is hydration and my test came back perfectly hydrated and matt actually thought it was a typo because of how <laughs> little water i drank but i assured him that day i had a couple of bottles of water with andy's um product in it and voila i was perfectly hydrated and it did i mean it's i mean we, uh, i talk about this stuff all the time but it genuinely had a uh, a real impact for you i think but beyond i think that the nice thing for andy and andy you're, if you're listening you're getting a lot of props here so you're, you're very lucky but um it was really educational yeah, yeah. i think it was uh, and the other thing is the the hydration drink in the day i think became the thing because it's so neutral such an easy yeah thing to drink. it was a very neutral taste and i they have different um amounts of electrolytes in each in each product that they that they sell and so i would just use the lowest amount of electrolytes in the morning and then when I was working out, I would up it, and it was it was perfect. It's funny when you you sort of talk about Ava at, at SMI, the Sports Medicine Institute, and then Andy quite randomly. I mean, full, full disclosure. I mean, these are two of the resources that we're integrating into the center. Yes. So, so you were just really the the test subject for uh, for the center. I was. <laughs> and, and then the real double down on strength was was I yeah. think huge for us. Yeah, we're, we're we're ramping running, and to amplify 
twice a week full strength training yeah Yeah, very difficult strength training and it was some of the most high intense sessions of the week for me but it allowed me to start getting my strength back in my posterior chain Mm -hmm. and i was feeling a lot better on the runs and then what started happening is i i started getting momentum um because the strength and the hydration and the recovery with ava we're all playing together to help my runs during the week go really well. And obviously that alone, so you had wonderful hydration, you had great recovery, you did some good strength. That did not make you marathon ready. No, it did not. <laughs> so, so, we, so, we have to, so we have to talk about the run. And let's think about around that obviously already busy schedule there of sort of things that you did. Why don't you, in your mind, think about or, or portray what the, the structure of the week for running was? Yeah, so I did run three to four times a week and it was always it was always with a, a ramping effort and it was always interval based. And why that worked for me is I always had a job to do and I always knew that I could get the walking that I need and my knees and my quads wouldn't seize up. Um <clears throat> and so what we did is we would create these uh interval sessions for me that I could I could easily follow and then I would do back to back days or triple days even. So I would do a short run on Friday, a fairly long run on Saturday and then an even longer run on Sunday. And um for those of you who don't know it San Francisco is very hilly. <laughs> so um You're not getting much speed validation. No, I wasn't getting much speed validation, but I was getting strong, which I didn't realize. Um and I think it's also important to note that I always had to be on a trail because when I would run on concrete or cement, my uh my legs would just buckle and and i mean i think that there's a couple of things there i can't help but sort of fall into that but the the double days the back-to-back days or the triple days uh, we we never did any really big big single day runs and and, and in fact this was a we'll talk about this later as a source of worry but what was your longest run going into the marathon standalone uh 14 miles 14 <laughs> miles now there are a couple of things in here that are important so trail running very hilly in San Francisco, so we're accumulating time. That was the biggest run in terms of mileage. And that, that's one of the reasons I really didn't want to think about the barometer as the sex being mileage. But where we did get mileage and accumulate mileage was over accumulative days while yes. integrating what we could talk about rehydration, sleep, um, massage and activation so that, so that you, your knees actually had a fighting chance of staying healthy. Yeah. So it was, um, it was pr- pr- pretty much out of the box. I get, I guess one of the things that, the, and, and I ask this as a loaded question because athletes push back so much, but how did you feel emotionally about walking so much? Well, I liked it because <laughs> I'm not a purist runner and mm-hmm. it made me feel successful. And I, and like we talked about before, as I was getting validation from it. So when I was walking, one of the minutes I was walking really slow. The next minute I was walking faster, speed walking. But then when I was running, as I was getting stronger, I started to run really fast. And that really validated me that this product or program was working. And I, I, I felt great. You sort of, I think at the, the start of it, I think it was almost better on the knees. Yeah. Like, this is all you could do. I, yeah. There's no way you could have gone out and just run 40 minutes. No, no, no. That's, it's, it was the only way I could kind of get through it. And then yeah. I felt successful and then my strength started to build and I, I loved it. And, and you carried that 
we won't talk about the race yet, but you carried that into race day, basically. I did, yeah. And that was the uh, that was the the formula. So all of this sounds romantic and successful and progressive and and uh, a wonderful experience, but there's still a point in a training for an event where it feels like the vice is tightening a little bit. Here it comes, the event's up. So let's let's fast forward to a month out. And what were your fears at that point of getting ready for the marathon? I was really nervous that I wasn't going to be able to complete the marathon because I was running so slow during my training runs. Um, and... I just didn't think that I was going to make it in the time limit, actually. And then I also um, didn't feel ready because I was worried that I wasn't accumulating um, enough miles. And then the last piece is I, I hadn't dialed in my race day nutrition. And I I wasn't sure how I was going to fuel for finishing this marathon. Yeah, and I, and I think it's... That that emotion when you sort of, I mean, firstly, we we sort of alluded to the pace of the runs and why we didn't do time. When you're going up and down a lot, you're doing it in trails, you're not going very fast. And so if you go eight miles and you say, goodness me, that took an hour and a half. Yeah. And you start doing the mathematics, it doesn't look good. Uh, and then the, the readiness side of it is this sort of ramping side. But let's talk about nutrition. You, you mentioned you worked with a, a nutritionist, and I think that's really important, uh, Kyla Chanel. Uh, I think she was um, she was fantastic for you. But why, why don't you um, why don't you talk about your experience with Kyla a little bit? Yeah, Kyla was great. The I went to Kyla in um, uh, May to start working on body composition changes, and then um, as we got closer to the race, she started working me working with me on a fueling plan. And what I liked about working with her on the fueling plan is that she made simple and actionable steps for me to follow. Um, we really increased the amount of protein I was taking in on a daily basis. And then probably the biggest thing that changed for me was the amount of carbohydrates and protein I was taking in immediately post-workout. And I know all of our Purple Patch listeners know that's a, a huge tenant of our philosophy, but within 30 minutes of exercising, I was getting 31 grams of protein and 24 grams of carbohydrate. And it was and it made me feel good and it also made me recover faster. And and it was the thing I noticed, there was no woo woo it was it you know you sort of you sort of talked about it being simple and actionable but it, but it really was it was practical yeah you did, it wasn't like you had to go shopping for every meal to find no. some random thing it was i didn't notice that you were on a sort of eating plan at all yeah no she just gave me a list of, of typical proteins fats and carbohydrates that you could find at the store and I just adapted the way that I ate and it, it really just fit with how we eat anyway. So it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. So let's, let's go to the race. It was up in, uh, up in Seattle. So you now have arrived. You've gone through the initial hesitations and worries. You've gone through the training journey. You've got your fueling plan in, in check. Did you, were you worried in the days leading up to the race? Absolutely not. You were confident, <laughs> you know, purple patch athlete woman. Come on. <laughs> yes, like many of your athletes, I was a little nervous. Um, so uh, the the day that I had to fly to Seattle, I was supposed to do a morning run before the flight, but 
you were not available to help with childcare, and I could not find a nanny to come at 4.30 in the morning, so I, I didn't get to do the run. And so when I got to Seattle, I did that run a little later in the day, and my legs felt terrible. And so I called you, and you said, don't worry, it's totally normal. And don't worry, I didn't believe you. <laughs> and then the, um, the day before the race, I was supposed to do another 30-minute run, and I felt awful again, and I called you, and you said, you're perfect, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. <laughs> um, and, and then I, that was kind of that. I had to get on with Baxter because he wanted to go explore and check out the bugs or the puddles or whatever we were doing that day, but I didn't have a lot of time to really think about it anymore, so I just I kind of got on with you it. You just got on with it. And then the, the, the other thing that I remember from race week that was uh, – that was funny, and and I was off. I was uh, mincing around South Carolina, leading a training camp. So Kelly's very first marathon. Here's Baxter. Good luck. See you later. Give me a call when it's over. But um, the plan leading in, I remember that the call. Are you serious? When I gave you the bike session. <laughs> yeah. So you you were in South Carolina, and I was doing this last week of training without Matt here, and I uh, I called him on Tuesday morning. I was like. I think you made a mistake. I think you might have mixed up my workouts with another athlete. Um, cause he had me doing a very high intensity session, the nipple twisters, which we talked about, um, earlier. And I, I thought it was insane, but you know, come to find out Matt does know what he's talking about <laughs> <laughs> randomly or sometimes we get lucky. That's for sure. Um, but before we break down the race, because we're laughing now, but we're, Husband and wife, we're business partners, and then oh, I wrote the plan. I I can't bear to say I was the coach, but uh, was that a little much? <laughs> you know, it, actually, it was fine. Like, interestingly, it it works for us. I think it would be tough for many, and there were some points when it became a little much, but I think I think we managed through it okay. I think you know, one of the things is uh, that people always say is you know don't. Don't open up a coffee shop with your. Don't with go your into partners. business with Don't your partner. with your partner, etc. And and yet here we are, huh? Yeah, we, we're uh, making it. We work. navigate pretty well. Um, so, what was success for you? We talked about this marathon. What what did you expect to do? What did you want to do? So, based on the the training times that I had and um, all of the nerdy analysis that I was doing, <laughs> I thought I was going to finish at five thirty. And I, I thought that would be great because I would be finishing before the seven hour so cutoff. So five and a half hours. Yeah, five and a half hours. Yeah. Um, but they stopped supporting the race at seven hours. So I just wanted to be done before seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in my dream world, I was like, you know, five hours would be incredible. And it's, um, and then I guess we, we also wanted to get out of it finishing healthy. Yeah. I mean, that was the real goal is finish the marathon healthy without hurting my knees. So. <clears throat> What was the plan? Was it just go and run? How, how did you take us through race day a little bit and what, what the mission was and what the plan was? So we used the, th we used the same um, strategy that I used in training that I really liked, which was a 112, 114-116 pattern. And then I could adapt that pattern or change it as I needed depending on how I felt. So if I was feeling sluggish, I could run faster or walk depending on what I thought I needed, but it was up to me to self-manage. Um, the, the race that I did is called the tunnel marathon and it's just outside of Carnation, Washington in the kind of the, the mountains there. And it's a, it's a beautiful trail. 
Um, it's soft surface and the start of the race is actually in an old train tunnel. And so it's completely dark. There's water dripping from the ceiling. Yes, you need headlamps. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone runs with headlamps and it's a, it's a real twist with your sensory. Yeah. Perspective. Yeah. With your perspective when you're running through the tunnel. Um, so how I, how I actually started the, the marathon was you said, you know, why don't you start with the initial six minute run? So you're not the little person at the back that's walking one minute easy, (laughs) walking one minute strong and then running. And so I started on my six minute run, but then I, I quickly came upon the tunnel and I didn't want to be left behind in the dark. And so I decided to run all the way through the two mile tunnel and then after that, I uh, was very disciplined and moved forward with my race day strategy. And that, that, it's interesting that 112, 114, 116, I mean, join the dots listeners, but that, that goes all the way back to your very first run, which was 111111. And, and gradually over time, so you got up to, to running six minute sections. So three quarters of a mile or so that you're actually running and then just having little walk breaks between. So ultimately, predominantly running with really integrated walk breaks but yeah. after the first couple of miles where you had to get through the tunnel of love then you sit into that rhythm rather than waiting until you were in trouble and being forced to walk and i think that's a key difference there isn't it yeah and i was i was very disciplined about my race plan and i i really followed it to the letter and i also had a job to do that kyla gave me which was fueling and so i had to take in 115 calories an hour and my mission was to take in real food the first two hours. And then because this was such a, a long event for me, switch to chews. And then whenever I needed, I could switch to, to beans with caffeine or, or gels or, or whatever was available. Um, and so I was constantly following that plan in addition to my uh, re- retained rhythm of training that I, I was prescribed. If there's one thing I did know... That's that you would follow the plan because there's the Reese Witherspoon thing again. <laughs> so you had, did you run with a clipboard? Or? <laughs> My stopwatch. <laughs> your stopwatch. You're very much your, your, your iPhone on your stopwatch and you went from there. And you went through and you – now, I, 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 the one part of this story that I get to tell on my side – I have never felt more pressure <laughs> or been more <laughs> nervous. I have never felt such immense weighted pressure. Uh, Sunday, getting to fly home from South Carolina. The Purple Press pros, we're just about to head off to Nice for the World Championships. Kona's coming up in about six or seven weeks. Purple Press pros have an easy press, uh, easy passage. They're going to get light and airy, fairy mat. I'm all good. I can uh, enjoy the rest of the season because now we have succeeded. Yeah, you know, it was pressure filled because if I wouldn't have succeeded, <laughs> I'm not sure what that would have said. <laughs> well, we wouldn't have been standing in this closet right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so race day, I think it's uh, we, we, you had this strategy. I'd, lo- I'd love to hear how it went for you. It was great. I mean, it, I I actually had a blast, and I know people might find that hard to believe, but uh, it was it was really fun. And for me, kind of what happened is every mile after fourteen, I was really excited because I'd never run farther than fourteen miles, and because I was sticking with this rhythm, I actually got stronger and faster as I went, which doesn't often happen in a marathon. And so towards the end, when I was running on my six minute sections, I was running 
eight minute mile pace or eight thirty mile pace, and it was it was great. And then I think the other thing that's important to note is this this course. It's um, net downhill, so it's a very fast course, but also. Um, there's nobody cheering you on because it is through the mountains. And so most people or a lot of people are running with headphones. And so I had headphones on for the first, um, first few hours. I listened to podcasts, but then the last five or six miles, I decided to put on my pump up playlist (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, went for it. And, but I stuck with that rhythm. And so I ended up finishing with a complete runner's high <laughs> i'm like and dancing trust me, your, your runner's line. high is going to be higher than most people's <laughs> runner's high that's for sure so what, what is on this aforementioned uh what did you say this uh playlist what is on that <laughs> what type of thing what song did you what song did you cross the line with uh, I, I crossed the line to shut up and dance with me. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. It wouldn't have been on mine, but uh, there you go. That's uh, that's all good stuff. But the other thing about this, because early, early in the race, of course, you were you're getting passed by a tremendous amount of people. Yeah. As, uh, yeah, I got passed by a lot of people until about mile fourteen or fifteen, and then all of those people that passed me, I ended up passing them, and I just stuck with this rhythm and. It it was really fun. Yeah. And then the other thing that often happens for people is the last three miles of a marathon can be really painful because they don't have a specific fueling plan. And because I was perfectly hydrated, followed my fueling plan and had this rhythm, it, it, it was really fun. I mean, you're running. uh, one of the things you said to me before the race is, uh, yeah, do you think I can negative split? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and you, you negative split it by absolutely miles. So there yeah. you go. You, you told me I was a good coach, but obviously not. Um, but yeah, running eight minute mile pace when you are running at the end for those four, five, six minute pieces is, uh, is, is absolutely fantastic. So well done. Thank so you. Person, it was a fantastic <laughs> performance. It, it really was. And it, it, and, and, and I want to come back to something we touched on earlier, being a purple patch athlete. So let's talk about, let me ask you a very general question here. Because y- your story, as we talked about this, ultimately we're talking about your, your finishing time, by the way. One thing we didn't mention, it wasn't five and a half hours. Oh, no, it was 4.54. 4.54. That's a high five worthy moment. Oh, that's uh, yes. <laughs> it's fantastic, but you outdid yourself. We can I, talk about that, but let's come back to being a purple patch athlete. We're world champions on here, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but this was a story of a purple patch athlete, obviously one that we're both very proud of. I'm tremendously proud of you. From your lens, what are the lessons that we can both draw on from this? Oh, I just think it's like um a rally cry for anybody out there who doesn't think they can ever run. I, I think you can. And I also think it's a, 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 a rally cry for people to know that you're actually much stronger than you know that you are and that you just have to take this big problem down, this big problem and break it up into small chunks and work through it step by step. And probably get the support that you, you yeah, need to be helpful. I think for it's sure. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't, it doesn't go... I hope it wasn't lost on anybody, but I had tremendous amounts of support. I had a coach. 
I had somebody helping me with my nutrition. I had somebody helping me with my strength and I had somebody helping me with my recovery. Um, and so I was, I was very well supported and I had tremendous results. I, I think there's also a part of it that obviously came through in our discussion, but is, is really important that in life that there's sort of people that think that they can't do things and, and we believe they can, but also sometimes shit happens for yeah. a little bit of phrase and people fall off a cliff and it can be for one reason or another. And your cliff was obviously something that was wonderful. It was the, the biggest gift we could probably have in our life, which was the arrival of Baxter. But that experience for you, I mean, that, that took longer than, than you thought. And, um, in many ways, I think was, was almost humbling. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's, you can come back, eh? Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I thought having Baxter was going to be like every other challenge I took up and had no problem with, like whitewater kayaking, skiing, mountain biking, learning to road bike, whatever. But it, it just wasn't that for me. And it really, it really did knock me down and it really did humble me. And it actually, kind of gave me a lot more empathy for people that have to get into fitness for the first time or are struggling to get back into fitness. Um, but it's possible and it, it just took me much, much longer than I expected. I think what you said is the exactly the right thing, which is you can and you're stronger than you think you are, but you got to you got to take the first steps. Yeah. And you got to you got to make sure that those steps are going in the right direction. And steps are going in the right direction, but you also just kind of have to do the the work. Yeah. And it's boring and you know, leg lifts, <laughs> bridges, not exciting, but it's basically like you just get up and you do your job every day and you don't you don't think too much about it. What what about training? Did you have any sort of lessons in training that you can summarize that people should really draw from? Yeah, I mean, it's for sure. I think a couple of things. So I couldn't have done this if I was only just running. So I think for me, cycling added a lot. So multi-sport training. Um, the other thing that I'm a huge believer of, if, if people didn't catch this already, is strength. And I, I think everyone needs to do more strength training. And then the uh, the value of walking. I know walking isn't widely accepted among pure runners, but it, it worked phenomenal for me. And I also see it working at the pointy end of the sport when you're working with some of your fastest athletes, when you have them take smaller, smaller, uh, walk breaks and, and then they accelerate. Yeah. I mean, uh, for me to jump in there, I mean, our, many of our professional athletes are utilizing walk breaks, particularly in training. And, and in fact, while we were doing this in South Carolina, we focused on this. We focused on how to do it appropriately and what's the actual technical element of walking very fast, resetting form and how it translates to better running. And one of the guys there, fantastic guy and a great athlete, actually very strong athlete thought, I'm going to put you to the test. And two days we did a run off the bike and it was a two loop run about 30 minutes in duration. So he did the first one sweating his way through the hilly and, uh, and hot South Carolina terrain and environment. And then we did the run walk technical session and he thought Dixon's full of shit. So I'm, uh, he went and tested it. And so he, he, and fair game to him. He did it well. He ran well. He walked when it was smart. He really put the test to it. And in 30 minutes, he, um, he ran faster with a lower heart rate and he begrudgingly 
decided that he was going to integrate it, but it was like the light bulbs going off. I think it's a, a huge component. Um, and then I guess the, the maybe the final part of training is that what we call the integrated approach. I think that was so so important for you, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, I think it really goes to back to how I see myself and how I see Purple Patch in general is that it's really about all of the elements, endurance training, functional strength, nutrition, and recovery, and that I'm just as much of an athlete as Chelsea Sodaro as James Wavero, as Sam Appleton, as, you know, all of these purple patch athletes. And it's, it's just really about using this as a, as a lifestyle to make me feel great. Well, now you've got the, that was the easy part. Now comes the pressure part. <laughs> okay. The quick fire round. Okay. Okay. Desert Island, this, we ask everyone. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you. Okay. So here are the four questions. Uh, most people, most listeners will know by now what the four questions are. It is what book that you would like to take to XR, what piece of music, one other thing, and then your final advice. And so quick and snappy, we are, if you haven't listened before, Kelly is going to get exiled. She's heading off to an island and she gets to quickly grab out of her bookshelf and by the record player, whatever she is, a few things. So here we go. The first one, which book would you take to exile and why? <laughs> this is a trick question. So uh, you know that I don't read just one book at once. So I would have to bring all 32 of the books I'm currently reading, which are a mix of books about psychology, mindset, and business right now <laughs> it's very true there's there's one side of our bedroom that has a kindle and the other side is like a maze or a minefield of various different books so there's no way that you could choose one out of there exactly <laughs> and you read four of four different ones each <laughs> night that's <laughs> quite the amazing thing what about a piece of music Ooh, there's probably only one song that i would recommend or that i would bring with me which would be I would walk 500 miles and I would walk. <laughs> the Proclaimers. Walk. The Proclaimers. And, and why would you take that song? Because it was played at our wedding. It was the song after yeah. we... Uh, after we walked down the... After we got married, we played the Proclaimers and and marched down the aisle and got everybody clamping and dancing. And that was basically the start of our wedding. Of That was almost like the fuse, and that song became the catalyst for the explosion of what the rest of that wedding yes. was like yes. very much. <laughs> yeah, um, okay, is there anything else on the music? Well, come on, please. <laughs> Lady Gaga. <laughs> Baby, I was born this way. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a very close second, isn't it? It is. And... You were most certainly born this way, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> okay, so you've got your piece of music, you've got the Proclaimers, you listen to it twice, and then you're right onto the Lady Gaga. We snuck that one, that little CD into the package. you got your backpack full of 32 books. You can bring one other thing. What would it be? Aw, I would bring my family. You could carry me on your back and I'll carry Baxter. <laughs> Perfect. That would be fun. Nothing would make me happier than being exiled with you to the desert <laughs> island, the Missy. But as we're standing on the shore, we're going to get kicked off or on the boat, just about to get kicked off. You have one last piece of advice you can give the world. Mm, push yourself. I, you all are stronger than you think you are, and I, I, I encourage you all to set a goal that's slightly out of reach and get busy getting busy. Get busy getting busy. That's fantastic. Oh, and one more. Oh, one more. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs>
Fen dance with me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> fantastic. The Missy, thank you very much for joining. Thank this you, story. Matt. Can we get out of the closet now? We are coming out of the closet. I think it's time for dinner. It might even be time for a glass of wine. All right, sounds um, good. Take care. Hi. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers. Cheers.